ವಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣರಮರ್ದನಕಿ ಪರಮಂದೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಸ್ವೀಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ದ ಟ್ವೆಲ್ತ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಭಕ್ತಿ ಯೋಗ ಟ್ವೆಲ್ತ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ he is talking about the characteristics of the perfected one often in uh, not often a few times in the bhagavad gita you will come across such uh, sections where he talks about what is it like to be enlightened what is it like to be perfected what is it like to be the goal in vedanta is called jivan mukta free while living yes freedom uh, is possible after death that's all right but vedanta is interested in here and now how can we radically transform our lives become enlightened in this life while living and then we are we will be curious about what's it like to be um enlightened and live a an life as an enlightened being in this life we first come across such a section in the second chapter of the bhagavad gita where arjuna asks what is the nature characteristics of the one of stabilized wisdom the sage of stabilized wisdom a very interesting way of putting it because after studying vedanta for a while we come to claim that i get it what is being taught i get it but it's um, you know i lose it also very quickly it's not stable how can i make it lasting how can i make it effortlessly you know my natural to me so arjun asks this question what is it like to be a sage of stabilized wisdom and sri krishna gives him the answer sthita pragyasya lakshanani the characteristics of the sage of stabilized wisdom wonderful section wonderful section <coughs> what see these characteristics if you read them just like that they seem like a list of qualities nice qualities but the purpose is this first of all it tells us what is it like to live an enlightened life but then one might ask all right but that seems so far off uh, what about me right now i am a seeker i am a sadhaka i am on the path what use is it to be uh, shankaracharya has said that these characteristics of the enlightened one these characteristics of the perfected one are practices for those who are seeking perfection for us for the rest of us they are practices again we come across a set of such uh, characteristics here this chapter of bhakti yoga and uh, sri krishna talks about uh, perfected one here again you will see in the next chapter 13 chapter another set of such characteristics now what's what is there any difference really speaking there's no difference it's talking about either a very advanced spiritual uh, seeker sadhaka or a perfected one jivan mukta that's what it's talking about however the context is different in each case so it's uh, taught in a somewhat different way in the second chapter it is this how the enlightened one jivan mukta sthita pragya engages in action that was the context a fighting the war what should i do should i fight this war or not if i if i do fight this war in what should be my attitude and so on so 
how does the enlightened one engage in action in life that was the context in the second chapter here the context is bhakti yoga so on some descriptions at least these characteristics are the characteristics of the jnani bhakta the one who is enlightened who realizes i am brahman and lives his or her life in devotion and surrender to god in fact this is the kind of vedanta that we teach here for us it is jnana mishra bhakti there are schools of vedanta which are pure bhakti devotion only there are some which are a little what americans might call hardcore knowledge vedanta not interested in all this god and bhakti and all of that that that's also possible but here in this chapter it is jnana and bhakti and an enlightened one that's what we are talking about here in the 13th chapter which we will see those characteristics krishna will recommend they are practices for jigyasu jigyasu is the one who become wants to become enlightened the enquirer so what are the um, practices what are the uh, what are the disciplines one must develop for the teaching of knowledge i am brahman to work that's in 13th chapter anyway so these are different contexts but basically one need not be uh, you know might think oh this is so complicated it's not actually it's it's not it's basically realizing who or what we are that's one or the other way might be um, deep faith devotion surrender to god jnana or bhakti or as one monk put it do hi raste hain mahatma ji jano ya mano it's one somebody said you know oh monk there are only two ways either you know it or you believe it the path of belief faith is bhakti devotion and that's mostly all of religion theistic religion is like that but there are paths the path of of sankhya for example of advaita which is the path of knowledge the point is to know it or understand it to start with that at least all right then we saw 13th and 14th verses go together let's chant them we have already um, started this we have discussed this already 13th verse let's chant 13th and 14th i'll chant and chant after me adveshta sarvabhutanam adveshta sarvabhutanam maitra karuna evacha maitra karuna evacha nirmamo nirahankara nirmamo nirahankara sama dukha sukha kshami kshami santushta satatam yogi santushta satatam yogi yatatma drida nischaya yatatma drida nischaya mai arpita mano buddhi mai arpita mano buddhi yo mad bhakta same priya yo mad bhakta same priya if you see the characteristics non envious friendly compassionate towards all beings free from ideas of possession and ego consciousness sympathetic in pain and pleasure forgiving always contented contemplative self controlled of firm conviction with his mind and intellect dedicated to me such a devotee of mine is dear to me all right so here we had seen advaishta sarvabhutanam having no enmity no hatred um, nothing against anybody 
and maitra friendliness for those who are happy and doing well your well-wisher for everybody karuna for those who are suffering and in, in, in sorrow struggling then we had seen these things last time next comes nirmamo nirahankara samadukha sukhakshami nirmama not mine nirahankara not i so what is this not mine not i what binds us to this world is i and mine if you want to put it in in brief what binds us to samsara and what makes us suffer is this i and mine so i vivekananda says thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on let go thy hold sanyasi hold say om tat sat om let go thy hold it has to be internal so let go thy hold it can be external also if you want to become a monk externally also you renounce no connection with the world no accumulation of money or property no relationships no family and dedicate yourself exclusively to spiritual life so internally and externally or most people cannot do that your circumstance in life does not permit it or we feel we are not ready for it and it's not necessary also notice krishna is uh, telling arjuna both are householders and at no point did he tell arjuna to stop doing what he was doing in fact just the other way around arjuna was ready to stop krishna told him don't stop keep on doing what you are doing then let go thy hold internally this nirmamo nirahankara not my not i not mine how internally how do you do that not mine my lord thine yours yours what binds us is um, my children my husband wife my parents my property my achievements my facebook likes my gadgets my opinions even more powerful uh, though those opinions are not worth much you didn't have them a few years ago and you won't have them in a few years hence every night you forget them all together completely mm. still we hold on to them with such ferocity we are ready to fight and argue and uh, even people are ready to uh, murder others for, for their uh, particular belief systems so mine i this is mine this is mine uh, at the physical level ownership of things relationship level and each level as it becomes subtler and subtler it becomes more fierce even more than that at emotional level feelings even more than that at intellectual level at opinions ideas so this is this is mine you might say what's wrong with that that's how the world works yes but this is first of all this is what ties us to worldliness and suffering and it is false none of it really belongs to us neither this world sri ramakrishna used to tell this rather touching uh, little you know it's an old saying that it seems god laughs twice once when the doctor says don't worry i shall save your you know beloved one son husband wife whatever i shall say god laughs then the second one is when two brothers fight over uh, their land and they draw a boundary this side is mine and that side is yours so nirmamo not not mine thine o lord it's it's yours it's a fact even for a monk ultimately it comes down to this body this is clearly mine no it isn't it isn't 
I told you earlier also that how a monk said that uh, uh, sharir aapka hai, aapka kagaj hai iska, do you have your papers for it, that it belongs to you? Uh, that aapka koi tofe mein diya, did anybody give this body to you as a gift? No. Banaya aapne, did you make it? No. Not even parents made it. It's nature which made. 99.9% of all the work was done and is being done by nature. There's a tremendous intelligence in nature. Much more powerful than us. Far beyond. We are only in biology, medical science, we are only trying to scratch the surface of it and grasp it. Um, a friend of mine who's a doctor, he would often say, a monk, he said when he was in medical college, the professor came in, he was showing the cross-section of the liver or the kidney, I think. Maybe the liver. And he said, if you look at the cross-section of the liver, take a look and tell me that there is no God. <laughs> it is so complex and so extraordinary. And that's, that's true of every organ. It's not just the liver. Every organ in the body. So anyway, did you make it? No. Alright. You at least own the materials out of which it was made. The earth, fire, air, water, the chemicals, molecules. You own it. It's your materials. No. We say we, it obeys us. I, I want Whatever I want to do, I can control this body, so it's my body. But even that control is entirely dependent on nature. I have I've said earlier also, you just have to vi visit a physiotherapy ward and see how in a hospital, how much effort a person, a stroke patient puts in to raise one limb. You are doing effortlessly now. I am doing it. No, you are not. At no point are you doing it. So when I think I am going to raise my hand, after that, a series of events happens in a split second, which enables me to raise the hand. Electrical impulses in the brain, through the nervous system, coordinating muscles which um, kick into action, and then skillfully raise the hand. At least I gave the order to raise the hand. No, you didn't. Even the desire, I will raise my hand, it bubbled up from somewhere in the unconscious. I decided to follow that desire. No, you didn't. There are um, neuros very creepy, scary neuroscience uh, experiments which are showing that neuroscientists, they can scan your brain and show you that they can predict just before you take a decision. They can predict what decision you're, you're taking because already your brain has taken the decision and then executes it. On the way, it sends you a memo. You, the conscious being, sends you a memo that would you like to take a decision? It's already been taken, by the way. The brain is doing it. It makes you feel that you are doing it. And later on, Krishna will say, in this Bhagavad Gita itself, thousands of years ago, nature alone does everything in this universe, everything in this body, and the mind also. You are the witness thereof. Prakritiva karmani kriyamanani sarvasha yapashyati tathatmanam akattaram sapashyati. It says this in the Gita. That's the one verse which has been repeated three times in the Gita, in different chapters. Nature does everything, or the gunas are doing everything. The enlightened one knows that I am the witness. The non-unenlightened one, gunair vimuratma kattahamiti manyate, ahankara vimuratma. Deluded by identification with the ego function of the mind, the unenlightened one thinks, I am the doer. Anyway, so first of all, mine, it's not yours. A great sadhu. Uh, who among the few I personally feel was an enlightened being whom I've met to whom all these characteristics actually apply uh, one of the few 
um by the way okay let me tell you the story and then by the way <laughs> so the story is this uh, once i met him i can tell you his name he has passed away ramananda saraswati he was in this to in uh, uttarakhand the, those places they call him omkareshwar wale ramananda saraswati he was a traditional wandering monk at, at the time of life when i met him so he said to me directly this is not one of his talks or anything i was present in front of me and he was talking to me he said ye deh ishwar ka hai ishwar ko arpan kar do he is talking to me as as a monk because i don't have anything else but i do have the body this life which is connected with this body and these thoughts and feelings all of these cap- capacities so it was a chain of teachings this was one part of it towards the end what do i do with this now this belongs to the lord you offer it to the lord and this offering to the lord is a continuous process day to day action to action speech thought everything offering and by the way when i was going to say when i say fully enlightened person that's one category and that's very rare as i said i personally feel i've met a f- just a few in my life however that does not mean that a prelim- preliminary form of a breakthrough or enlightenment is not possible that many have yeah. many have i even recently met you will not um, understand you know they seem very ordinary <laughs> anyway so it's possible it's possible even till today that uh, there are people who make this breakthrough but that's not the end of the road they have to uh, continue till they reach this this level and we also have to uh, practice these things for us it's an effort for them it will come much more easily so nirmama not mine for practical purposes yes you will be aware that this is your property your car uh, uh, your <laughs> your clothes uh, let me tell you a funny story there was this uh, monk who had this very annoying habit we at first thought it was an honest mistake because all our clothes look alike so we see in the monastery we wash and put it up to dry on clothes lines but this monk he would just wear any dress and go <laughs> until we realized he was doing it on purpose <laughs> he was he just not content whatever is available to him he wears and where he goes it's and that's it's true it's all the same it's all washed clothes but you still have a feeling of this is mine <laughs> uh funny story as novices we had one day of the week as clothes washing day and that was sunday and the story of that is also interesting long before our time it became difficult at all seven days the same routine same you know there was hard work and study and meditation and so on so the novices got together and asked the swami who's head of the our training say that give us one day a break a sunday and so he the swami was a very nice person he went to the general secretary of the order at that time it was swami madhavan ji was a particularly strict monk and said swami for the brahmacharis one day holiday what sadhu's holiday <laughs> is there a holiday in spiritual life there can be no holiday in spiritual life and so this poor swami he came back and told the brahmacharis that see i'm sorry i tried but it's not permitted brahmacharis always younger people are more intelligent they said don't put it like that swami you'll never get permission you'll have to say we need one day for clothes washing and room cleaning 
so the next again the Swami went and said, Swami, we need a modification in the weekly schedule. One day for clothes washing and room cleaning. I said, yes, yes, of course, that's necessary. All right, go. <laughs> and that's how we got our Sundays, which, uh, which continues till today. But Sunday is usually more work than every other day because you have to clean everything, the, the, your room, surroundings, and your clothes and everything. Anyway, the whole sto the story is like this. We... Um, we had to collect, literally, I've done this, collect firewood and light a fire, then boil water. Then we had this old, I don't know, most of you have not seen, there's soap which had to be scraped on iron, uh, you know, like a, like a scraper. And it would come out as little bits and pieces, which, you, it's the cheapest form of soap. And you throw it into that boiling water, and then you throw your clothes in after it. And after some time, you come back and uh, clean, wash your clothes. So that was the... Uh, system and there was this monk um, another brahmachari who was very intelligent before us uh, what he would do is he would wait for everybody to put their clothes in then he would go around and distribute his clothes in various buckets you know <laughs> he knew which buckets buckets were all numbered so he knew which brahmachari had <laughs> which bucket and then the brahmachari would clean their clothes <laughs> wash them and put them on the clothes line then he would come in the evening and collect his clothes from <laughs> This is a way of avoiding work. <laughs> Nirmama, not mine. So not in that sense, yes? So in a practically, you must be very aware of what is in practical life, what, what is yours and what you have to take care of. That's all right. But never have a sense of deep possession about it, that it's mine and I must hold on to it. It really isn't a question of monks and householders. It's not a question of how much you have or how less you have. The famous story of Shukadeva and King Janaka is there. Both were enlightened. Um, great, or at least great spiritual masters. Shukadeva is the, is, is the example of, the paragon of renunciation in the scriptures. He had literally nothing in the world except his pair of loincloths and nothing else. And he would come and talk about Vedanta to the great emperor Janaka. And they would have discussions on Vedanta philosophy. And the emperor was an emperor. He had an empire to run. Now, one day there was uh, um, when they were discussing philosophy, uh, some news came. There's a fire in that quarter of the city. And Shukadeva stood up. What? That particular part of the city? They said, yes. He got agitated. The emperor didn't. And he was off like an arrow, Shukadeva. Uh, and the emperor, of course, gave orders what to do and all that. After some time, the sage came back panting and red in the face. Um, the emperor said, what's up? Where did you go, revered sir? Uh, he said, oh, it's all right. No, but where did you go? You see, before coming here, I had washed my other loincloth and put it on a tree. <laughs> and it's in that quarter of the city. So I thought it might be burned. <laughs> He's racing off to save his one <laughs> loincloth. Uh, then Raja Janaka, the emperor, said, apparently said this, Mithilayam pradigdhayam name dahati kinchana. Um, he says, if the city of Mithila itself were to burn down, nothing of mine would be touched. Does, that does not mean like Nero fiddling, you know, while Rome burns. Not like that. He did what he was doing. What he was supposed to do, he did it. But he doesn't have a sense of ownership, though he, he owns an empire. And the monk has a sense of ownership, although he owns just a change of uh, uh, loincloths. Yes. Nirmamo. Then Nirahankara. Ego, this ghost. 
so this is the real barrier in spiritual life you are limitless existence consciousness bliss but you feel so limited this little person that's all i am when i hear that i'm limitless awareness i just feel uh, yeah that's theoretical that would be very nice but i don't feel it the enlightened ones assure us vedanta assures us this is true right now but we don't see it why don't we see it it's because the veil of the ego is there what do you mean by the veil of the ego it's precisely this this i feeling i am this person so i am this this i feeling the i which is associated with this body mind this is called ego and i think i am that that's all i am who am i i am this person i say i and if you want more details i am this person i can give you a whole story about myself i can describe myself this is my cv this is my personal history so this i and this i is ego it's a function of the mind in vedanta it is defined what is an ego ahankara um, it says that it's the appropriating function abhimanatmika antakarana vritti that which says uh, uh, my thought my ideas my hunger my uh, illness or my health my friends and so on i and mine this is a function of the mind and why does this if is this function there without that you, we would not be able to work as an integrated individual all it does is makes you an individual person but in our case it's a sick ego it's a uh, herniated ego it has expanded uh, its ambitions connected with the impurities of the mind the desires of the mind personal projects all of this the ego of i and all of it exists for the glorification of this little ego it's like a ghost it's the core of our spiritual problems egotistic we say egotism our worldly problems also our spiritual problems also that ego bengali sri ramakrishna said ami murle ghujibe janjal when the i is the ego is dead the janjal um, is rubbish all the rubbish then you have gotten rid of the rubbish when the ego is gone you see god you are in vedantic sense you realize who you are that limitless awareness now remember ego is gone doesn't mean that the enlightened one doesn't feel the i it does feel the i just like the mind was working it has memory it has intellect all these qualities of the mind all these functions of the mind ego is one more function of the mind enlightened one also has that ego but doesn't think i am the ego doesn't think i am the ego try this experiment um i mentioned it earlier to you we will uh, locate the ego okay so become aware of the sense of i you know i am sitting here i am listening to this guy in orange i now the question is locate the i so you are sitting now if i ask you physically locate the i uh, is this i means the vertical i not the uh, e y e so the i is it uh, you know here below the waist or above the waist somewhere where if you physically were asked where would you where do you feel the i you know almost i think almost all of us would say i feel it above the waist it's a rare peculiar individual who says it's in my knee <laughs> 
Although if you have knee prop, knee pain, most people would say it's in my knee. <laughs> so it's above the waist. All right. Now draw mentally. Draw a line through the around your chest, just like this, parallel to the floor. And let me ask you the question: the sense of the eye is it above this line or below this line? Just feel it. Not even theory theoretical. Just feel it. You feel yeah. I feel here somewhere. If you force me, I'll, I'm saying here. If I say I'm here, it seems odd. So it's above. Some will say it's a chest. Then you draw a line here at the level of the jaw or the um, yeah. And is the sense of eye below this or above this? And here some might say here it's here. Many might say no, it's above. It's somewhere in the head. Are you with me so far? Yeah. And you follow it. It's not. Uh, we are not trying to look at my ego. <laughs> You're trying to look. Everybody's trying to look at their own ego. <laughs> it's above the um, in the head somewhere. Now draw two lines like this: one through the this left eye, and one two vertical lines: one through the left eye like this, one through the uh, right eye like this. Mentally, because we are trying to locate it in the skull. Where you are, where do you sense the ego? Now let answer this question. You have three parts now. Look at me, on this side, on that side, and here. Where would you say the ego is more like? If you're forced to give an answer, where would you feel it? Yes, yes, somewhere here. You'd say behind your eyes, or behind your forehead, inside somewhere, just behind, right? Are you with me? Are you? Do you understand what's going on? It's a, it's nothing very sophisticated. It's just an exercise in feeling. And all of this is its very natural. Uh, why would you feel that the ego is here? Because most of our senses are located in the head and the face region. It's full of rich with nerves and all. So sensations are here. Our eyes are here, nose, tongue, skin. It's all very, it's all there and all skin is also very sensitive here. So naturally you feel a more, uh, you know, sense of presence here. It's natural that the ego would, you would feel it somewhere here. But the point is this. So, it's somewhere in between, right? And somewhere uh, behind your eyes or just above your uh, eyebrow and step back. It's interesting, that is called in Kundalini the Ag Agnya Chakra. Anyway, you step back there and comfortably place the ego, I. You'll see, you'll feel comfortable to say that I am here. Sort of comfort you feel. I am here, somewhere there. I. Now quick, what is observing that eye? Because that eye is also being experienced. What is experiencing that eye? Two things come out of this exercise. If you can place the eye here, it's clearly an object. And you are something more than the eye because you are seeing it as an object. Just as you see this hand, just as you see the breath coming in and experience the breath coming in and going out. Just as you experience a thought and a feeling in the mind, so you are experiencing the ego. What is that you? Clearly it is. And it's aware. Yes, Akshi Chaitanya, yes. So that can never be objectified, by, by the way. If you try to objectify it, it's still some figment, some imagination or some kind of thought. So that's the ego. Notice, the ego is a thing. And the enlightened one sees the ego as a thing. Nirahankara. Enlightened one this or this jnani bhakta does not operate in the ego mode does not operate in the ego mode does not operate from there hmm. 
operates as the witness consciousness or operates as the devotee of the Lord. The ego is attenuated. Either like Hanuman, you become vast. The story of Hanuman is there who jumped across the ocean. So he became vast or you become tiny. In either case, you will escape the net of the ego. You become vaster than the ego or you fade away. You, the ego cannot catch you. Uh, uh, hold on to the question. Hold on to the question. Now one more thing. One person, someone might say, so I and mine, nirmamo nirahankara. Uh, so if the ego is the problem, why not straight go to the ego and uh, deal with it that I am not the ego. There are two ways of dealing with it. I am not the ego. I am the witness of the ego. Says who? The jnani. The enlightened one. The one on the path of knowledge. Shankaracharya, notice what he sings. Mano buddhya hankara chittani naham Naja shrotra jivve Naja ghrana netre Naja vyoma bhoomir Natejo navayu Chidananda rupa Shivoham, Shivoham Chidananda rupa Shivoham I am of the nature of Shiva Consciousness, bliss But before that he has said Mano buddhi ahankar Mano buddhi ahankar Chittani naham I am not mind, I am not uh, intellect, I am not the chitta memory, but I am not the ego. Ahankara na aham in Sanskrit. What does it mean? I am not the ego. Or literally it means I am not the I. That's self-contradictory. I am not I. But what it means is exactly what you experience now. I am the witness of the ego. I am the light which in, illuminates the ego. If you are, the ego can function. Without you, ego cannot function. Ego cannot ex exist independently. It's a wave in the ocean that you are. It arises from you. And it's, an it, it's, a, it's a nice instrument because you need it for operating this body-mind. So the jnani, the enlightened, the one on the path of knowledge will say, I am the witness of the ego. But the devotee, that, all, that also you can do. I am nothing, you are all my Lord. And the devotee makes himself small. Girish Ghosh said that it's two people easily escaped the net of Maya. Vivekananda made himself so big, bigger and bigger and bigger, till the net of Maya was unable to hold him. And Nag Mahashaya, one of the disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, whose life is an extraordinary thing, his householder, uh, he was in Bangladesh, Deobhog. So he made himself smaller and smaller and smaller. He made himself the least of everything. And Maya, he escaped easily through the net of Maya. It was too small for the net to uh, catch hold of. We in between, we get caught because the me medium-sized one is the ego. <laughs> Make yourself smaller and smaller before the Lord. I am nothing, you are everything. Make yourself bigger and bigger. I am the limitless Atman. The one, one behind all egos. Okay. Hold on to the question because we'll take it at the end. Now, if you have this, now, this nirmamo nirahankara, so why not go straight and make yourself egoless, transcend the ego? You cannot. The ego is well armored by the mind. This I and mind, you cannot tackle the I directly. It is armored by the mind. So, first of all, we must get rid of the shell that protects the ego, which is the mind. Mentally, Outwardly and mentally, or just mental, inwardly mentally, if you surrender everything to the Lord, then the ego is easy to tackle. Otherwise, the ego is puffed up with, I don't know who am I, who I am. 
that's what I want to know. I'm inquiring. An Atman, who am I? Who am I? That's what I'm inquiring. Well, I am great. Let me tell you. These are my achievements. Uh, these are, or I am awful, miserable. Uh, these are my troubles in life. This is all ego. And all nonsense. So, the mind is the one which gives substance to the ego. Strip away the mind, the ego will disappear like a ghost. Disappear means it will still work, but it will not trap you. Then what will happen? If you manage to, you know, say not mine and not I, thou my lord. Then, or if you manage to say, aham brahmasmi chidananda rupa shivoham. Then, sama dukkha sukha kshami, sama dukkha sukha. In joy and in sorrow, in pain and in pleasure, you will be able to maintain um, a serenity. You will be able to maintain a, uh, a serenity, uh, undisturbed. This sama, dukha, sukha and dukkha, the evenness, inner evenness in the midst of the ups and downs, joys and sorrows, the small pleasures and pains of life, this inner evenness, this is repeated again and again throughout the Gita. This is seen, whether you are a devotee, whether you are a jnani, whether you are a dhyani meditator uh, or a great karma yogi, everywhere this common characteristic is repeated. Are you able to treat the small ups and downs of life, small and big ups and downs of life with evenness? Difficult, very difficult. But that becomes much easier if the um, ego, I and mine is overcome, either by devotion or by knowledge or by both. Sama Sukha Dukkha. Then, next one. Santushta Satatam Yogi. Oh no, Kshami. Kshami means the forgiving one. So this is a very important thing, especially in Christianity. Um, this is stressed greatly. You must forgive others. Forgive whom? It's easy to forgive a good person. Very nice, moral, good, kind, who especially is very good to me. You are always ready to forgive people you like. But it's people who have actually harmed you. People you don't like or who may not like you. There one must practice forgiveness. And, you know, the forgiveness has an immediate result. Kshama. Kshama. That is the word in Sanskrit. Kshantihi. Forbearing and giving up. Um, your anger, resentment and against others. That's called Kshanti. It's, it's almost the same as Shanti. Sha and Ksha. Just this much difference. And this forgiveness gives, the immediate result is peace. Especially, one might not think it. One, if one harbors resentments against others, but you forgive internally, you might think it will be difficult and then I'll be left with unpleasantness. No! With regrets, no, you will get great peace immediately. If we don't forgive and hold on grudges and resentments, we are continuously burning within. So, Kshami. In Christianity, that's the common, hold on to that, common prayer is there that uh, um, forgive us our debts, O Father, to God, as we forgive others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Um, so don't forget your questions. I'm going to go ahead because I've got something to cover today. Then Santushta Satatam Yogi Yatatma Drinanishaya Mayarpita Mano Buddhi Yomad Bhakta Same Priyaha. Next, 
Santushta Satatam Yogi. Yogi, who is the Yogi? One more quality is Santushta Satatam. Continuously contented. Contented about the world. Contented about oneself, about one's life, um, health, relationships, financial status, um, you know, status as such, social media status, uh, and uh, popularity or unpopularity, whatever it is, life has thrown up, you're contented continuously. Why are you contented? It's not possible to be contented like this without spirituality. Either you are contented, why will you not be contented from a Jnani's perspective? You are limitless existence, the existence of the entire world is your existence, depends on your existence. You are called Sat, pure being. Why will you not be contented? Your consciousness itself, from which comes all knowledge, all experience, worldly and spiritual, you are that consciousness, the ground of all knowledge. I am talking about the Atman. Why will you not be contented? You are, the, you are Ananda itself. You are, you are your own greatest and continuous source of joy, the Atman. The, if you are puzzled about what's, what are you talking about, I am not nobody's source of joy, nobody likes me, I don't like myself. No, this is a Vedantic uh, inquiry I mentioned, there is no time to go into it now. How the Atman is the source of all joy, the Self itself. What we think as happiness coming from outside, we go around with a begging bowl, give me a little happiness, give me a little happiness, give me a little happiness. No, it's your own happiness. The world plays a trick at, uh, on you by giving you 1% of your own happiness and making you eternally grateful to it. <laughs> Somebody defined, you know, what's a consultant? It's apologies to all consultants. A lot of consultants are here. Consultant is one who looks at your watch and tells you the time. That's an old joke. <laughs> so similarly, the world is that. Sri Ramakrishna gave the example of happiness. The dog which uh, is to bite a bone chew on a bone, dry old bone, which cut its lip and it would taste its own blood and say how tasty the bone is. It would carefully bury the bone. Whenever it wanted taste, when it wanted to enjoy itself, it would dig out the bone and chew on it. But it would taste its own blood and thought that the bone was very tasty. Similarly, our bone is this world. Whatever we find pleasure in, and we keep carefully keep it because we want to taste the pleasures of this world in, in its thousand different ways. But it's like the bone, the joy which we apparently get, the fun which we apparently get. It's all the self, the Atman only. We don't get it, we don't see that. Anyway, so why would you not be contented? You are the limitless Ananda, you are the limitless consciousness Chit, you are the limitless being Sat, you are Sat Chit Ananda. Why would you not be contented? In your heart, if you are many of your devotees, you have taken mantra and um, the Ishta Devata shines the blissful form of the Ishta Devata, God in that particular form is in your heart. You have got the name of God given to you by a Guru. Why are you not contented? Santushta Satatam. I'm not contented because of the world. I want some things in the world. Because that's foolishness because that will never give contentment. And that which will give contentment you already have. You already have. I mean, those who are here, they are already spiritual seekers. So you have already got enough to be contented about. Whether you are a monk, or you are a householder, a student, elderly person, whatever you are, wherever you are in life, we already have enough to be contented. We are not paying attention. We are not paying attention. It's there. Recognize what you have. Santushta Satatam. Yes, discontented about God. Sri Ramakrishna was most discontented, divine discontentment. 
Every day he would weep and cry, one more day has gone, I have not seen the, my mother Kali. He was a worshipper of Kali, the Divine Mother. Others have seen you, and so many great spiritual seekers. Will you, will you not reveal yourself to me? Will I not be able to see God? And divine discontentment. Yes, that's a bhakta, devotee. Not discontented about the world. Whatever it is, it's alright. I'll bear, I'll forbear. Santushta satatam yogi. How do I build? But I am not contented. What can I do? It's true what you are saying. Yatatma. Up and doing. Yatatma means a person who is uh, putting forth effort. Meditate. Study. Think about it. Listen to devotional songs. Sing. Chant. Pray. Serve others. The four yogas are paths open to all of us. Be up and doing. Yatatma. You will get the results straight away. Then... Yes, I try, but, you know, I forget, and then I slip away, then the days pass without doing anything. So, Dhridhanishchaya, see how beautifully it's connected. Dhridhanishchaya, with firm determination, a firm, unshakable resolve. This is one thing I have seen in the lives of these direct disciples, when I'm reading the lives of devotees, direct disciples. One common thing, they're very different people, very different from each other. But one thing common to all of them was, they did what they took up. And that I think is common not only to sages and saints, it's common to anybody who's achieved anything great in life. The ability to take up something and finish it. Often there are very talented people in the world, very talented, very intelligent, but you'll notice a characteristic is restlessness. They enthusiastically take up something and then drop it and take up it. But the thing is they take up with great enthusiasm. See, there are people who have no enthusiasm at all, that's tamasic, not interested. So that's tamasic. Always um, face like an owl. <laughs> not interested in anything. Never, not willing, too much trouble. Too much trouble. I'd rather take a nap. Yeah. So that's, that's tamasic. Now there are some people who are enthusiastic. Really enthusiastic. But the problem is they're enthusiastic about something every three days. Something different. To accomplish anything in life you need to hold on to what you're enthusiastic about for some time at least. Whatever it is. If you want a degree, you want to learn how to play the guitar, you want to learn programming, you want to meditate, of course, uh, you want to cultivate devotion for, for the Lord in your heart. Whatever it is, one needs to hold on to it with determination for some time. Dhrira Nishchaya. Focus, hold on to one thing at a time and intensely for some time. This uh, person, what's his name? Malcolm Gladwell, I think. The 10K rule. Uh, I mean, it has been disputed, but still the principle is understood. That to master, you know, that to master any skill or subject, you need to put in 10,000 hours of work and in a con concentrated way. You can't do it 10,000 hours over 50 years. <laughs> little bit today, little bit after one month, not like that. It has to be done intensively every day, something every day. Uh, whether it is painting, writing, computer programming, whatever it is, uh, sports. So, and anybody in any of these skills or professions, they know this, they know. Anybody who's achieved anything, they have put in a lot of hard work intensively. So much so also for spiritual life. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Madhate Bhav, he used to say, this uh, relaxed, yes, I do a, just do a little bit of prayer and meditation and slowly it will... Uh, big ditch in front of me, I will cross it in little steps. <laughs> no, you'll fall into it, into the ditch. 
you have to put forth a big effort dhridanishchaya and finally he concludes with mayar pitra mano buddhi yo mat bhakta samay priya that devotee is dear to be with all these qualities and he says whose mind and intellect are settled in me given to me notice how he circles back to where he started in the eighth verse he says characteristics of the person who attains to god through devotion eighth verse mayeva manadhatsva mai buddhim niveshaya give your mind to me give your intellect to me and you will dwell in me for certain there's no doubt about it here after going through all this he is back to that again give your mind to me give, give your intellect to me such a devotee is uh, dear to me now i wanted to come to this verse but i'll still i'll make a beginning at least next one is a very interesting and uh, for me it's one of my favorite verses i'll tell you why please repeat after me yasmanno dvijate loko yasmanno dvijate loko lokanno dvijate chaya lokanna dvijate chaya harshamarsha bhayo dvegair harshamarsha bhayo dvegair mukto yasa cha me priya mukto yasa cha me priya from whom the world gets no trouble and who gets no trouble from the world who is free from elation jealousy fear and anxiety he is dear to me so one way of putting this is uh, from whom the world is not disturbed this who doesn't disturb the world and who is not disturbed by the world it works in two different ways when it comes to the world not being disturbed by you you have to take care not to do anything to disturb the world and the opposite is not true it's not that the world has to take care not to do nothing to disturb you the world can do anything but you have try you have to adjust yourself so that you are not disturbed by the world so asmanno dvijate disturbance anxiety agitation you do not cause anxiety agitation upset as a devotee as a gyani bhakta devotee on the path of knowledge and love we have to take care not to upset the world second also not be upset by the world myself uh, ourselves and then free of uh, elation unnecessary elation excitement and then free of uh, jealousy there's one meaning but we'll see and free of fear so not anxious or not disturbed because of these things one who's free of these things uh, such a devotee is bhakta is dear to me that's what krishna says now the reason <laughs> this verse is uh, dear to me is uh, it's stuck in my memory is that when we when i became a monk about 30 years back the monastery where i joined we had this uh, practice the head of our monastery gave us the rule, the new newcomers we were given this practice so one of the things we had to do was to memorize one verse of the gita every day so at night the swami would walk and we would uh, walk with him the young the youngsters who have just come to become monks we'd finish we'd all rush to finish our work whatever was there and uh, so that we could go and join him for that nightly walk and uh, it was 
where we learned so many things. But well, first we would have to recite our, our verse and each, each one would be allotted different chapters at different times. So chapter by chapter we would learn the Gita. So we would have to recite the verse and give its meaning in English, Bengali, Hindi, whatever we are com comfortable with. Now among us there was one monk, one, one novice who was a little peculiar. He was a very simple, good-hearted boy, uh, but he was rough, a diamond in the rough, they say. So he quarreled with just about everybody. He picked a fight with everybody, and, uh, uh, and the, the head of the monastery transferred him from this department to that job, to this job, and finally couldn't find any way to place him because he quarreled with everybody everywhere and said, one day he hauled him up and said, what am I to do with you? What do you want to do in this uh, ashram? You want my job? And he took it seriously. He said, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of us, we learned the Gita one verse by one verse. But for that novice, the Swami said, every night you have to recite this verse. Who, by whom the world is not disturbed and who is not disturbed by the world. <laughs> that was his verse, fixed verse which he had to recite and so uh, he always had this one verse, I mean for several months I think. Um, yeah, so that's why I remember this. <laughs> I hope it helped him. He didn't last. He finally, uh, he was expelled. But uh, I heard later that he's still a monk uh, by himself. He's better off by himself, <laughs> not with so many people. Yeah. Um, all right. I think we can take questions. So I'll I'll explain this verse next time. I just told you the funny story about it, but this verse has a lot which we have to learn from. It's it's very deep. Mm. Many many things here. All right. We'll start here with the person who first raised their hand. Um, somebody here. You've forgotten your question. Somebody? Nobody. You had you had a question? All right. Can you get the microphone here? Raise your hands so, so that they can see you. Hi. Uh, my question is about when you said uh, when you were trying to locate the ego, and you said it's the witness awareness. It's a witness uh, consciousness. So my question was about like I, I'm aware of my ego. So is the awareness the ego or no? No, the feeling of I, which. If you locate it, your feeling of I, and you locate this as sort of residing between your eyebrows. It doesn't, but anyway, we feel it there. The point of the exercise is to show that we are not the ego, actually. The ego, if you try to locate it, you feel you have been able to locate it, but that means it's appearing to you, it's something that you're experiencing. Just like you're experiencing this clock, when I hold it up there, you can see it. This is a thing. The what body, you can see it as a thing. The breath, you can see it as an object coming in and going out. Thoughts, you can see as objects. The ego is also like a thought. To whom is this appearing? That, is that, that one is the witness consciousness and you can never objectify it. So, awareness that I'm aware that this is where all the... I'm being aware of the world in this location. Yes, that's what we do. I am aware of the world. But Vedanta is telling us, you are awareness illumining the I, the mind, the body and the world. And isn't that a truer description of what's going on right now? Think about it. This exercise, by the way, uh, was designed by Greg Good, 
who is um, a teacher of the direct path and a counselor, psychology counselor who works here in New York. And he has actually agreed to come here and give a session. So we are looking forward to that session. It's in April. I think it's in April. We'll, we'll notify you in June. It's in June. We'll notify you. That'll be very interesting because uh, he teaches what is called the direct path Advaita. And he's one of the f lesser known but fine, finest teachers I have found who's really got it. So he's going to come and give a session for us. Yes. Can you give the microphone there? Tell us your name and ask the question. Namaskar Swami. Uh, my name is Deepika. Mm. Mm, you said that uh, when you put your effort while uh, practicing all these things and all, so is there any, uh, always you mentioned about uh, breakthrough, right? I can use Oriya, I'm from Orissa. Yes. Mm, always you use the word breakthrough, right? So will it be noticeable? Uh, to the awareness or the ego mind? The breakthrough itself? Yeah. All right. So thank you, Deepika. And it's nice to hear Oriya in a question. Mm. <laughs> uh, will it be noticeable? Now, first of all, this breakthrough is a term that I have been using and, and I have noticed with some alarm that's becoming popular. Like, have you achieved your breakthrough? Who has got a breakthrough? Don't, don't make it another thing. <laughs> What's the important thing? Not to have your breakthrough. The important thing is Shravana Manana and Nidhyasana. Listen to the teachings, think it through and stay with what you have understood. Stay with means in meditation. That's more important than pre-breakthrough, breakthrough, post-breakthrough. <laughs> There's a whole breakthrough philosophy developing now. So anyway, but yes, it's called Brahmakaravritti. The realization that I am Brahman, is it noticeable? Of course it's noticeable. It's a clear difference, uh, you know, for the rest of your life. It'll be clear before and after. that you. It's like when the veils finally dropped. And there are people who have, that much clarity has come for there many people. And uh, not many, a few. It's very precious that one gets it. And one can get it in this lifetime. The thing is to stay with it. Shravana, Manan and Nidhyasana, not to chase any breakthrough or anything like that. It will come by itself. Let me do the sh um, Shanti Mantra, then we will go on with the Q&A and the basket. Uh. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu an announcement so I'll be going to India for a short trip and so the next two classes will miss there won't be the Tuesday and Friday classes next week and the week after that so we'll start the classes in the first week of first week of, of March from the 5th of March 5th will be the gospel class I think and 8th will be the uh, Gita class Yes, there was a person who raised the hand there. Could you pass down the microphone? We'll, we'll go across the gentleman behind you and then to the lady on the other end of the row. Yes. First you. Tell us your name and ask the question. Uh, good evening, Swamiji. My name is Madhav. Uh, my question was also about Nirankara and the loss of pride and ego. 
um, with the loss? Not loss, transcendence. It's not a loss at all. It's it's a gain, actually. Okay. Mm. Could you say it's the loss of the I? Yeah, it is. It's transcending the I, transcending the ego, and so it, it's a gain for you as a spiritual life. It's not a gain of the ego. It's a loss. It's transcending the ego. Yeah. Anyway, this mm -hmm. is a technicality. So, would the go transcendence on. of the ego also? Yeah. Go on. The loss of material desires and ambitions. We will uh, reduce material desires anyway because our desires are now focused on the Lord. And exactly what will be the level of our material desires and acquisitions will depend on where you are in life. If you are a monk in an uh, ashram, that will be one kind. Uh, you are a monk in the Himalayas, another kind. If you are holding a job as a you know manager in a company and uh, you have uh, a spouse and kids and all to provide, that will be another kind. If you are like Janaka, uh, administering a kingdom, that will be another kind. But for myself as this limited being, not interested. I don't see myself pursuing those ends, you know. Um, the taking delight in sense enjoyments. Uh, so, that no longer should be a project in the world. We realize that will not lead to any kind of deep, lasting fulfillment and happiness. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy your favorite cookie. You can. But don't make it the purpose. Don't live to eat. You know, eat to live, live to eat like that. I remember myself, when I joined the monastery, I saw in the library, I'm a bit of a bookworm, so I saw in the library where, where uh, this PG Woodhouse, uh, which I loved. <laughs> so I thought I'd never read one again in, after becoming a monk. I'd just become a monk. Then I asked a senior monk, can I read a PG Woodhouse? I said, yes, yes, you can do whatever you'd like, but if I find you reading P.G. Woodhouse's all day long, there's something wrong. <laughs> are, you, are you relying on the world to provide you with meaning, fulfillment, joy, real joy? Or are you relying on, on your spiritual practices, God, or enlightenment, whichever, self-realization? Self Is your joy in Vedantic inquiry, study, understanding? Is your joy in bhakti? Is your joy in deep inwardness in meditation? Is your joy in selflessly giving and serving others? And those, all of them provide you joy actually. If you try it, even if you think that I'm not interested, if you try it, you will get joy. Easily. And they give a very sattvic joy. So is your joy there or is it in P.G. Woodhouse? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, is, the is the transcendence of the I and pride always a good thing? Is it necessarily a good thing? Yes, okay. it's a good thing. If you have a, you can replace it with a higher pride. I am the child of God. Will I behave in this way? Will I live this a mean kind of life? Will I be um, nasty and cruel and devious? No, I am a child of God. That's good. That kind of eye, it helps you to transcend a lower eye. This is a gentleman behind you. And then you can pass it down in a row. Can you just ask a follow-up question? Yeah, ask me. I'll repeat the question, yes. Yeah. Well, how do you differentiate between tamasic? How do you distinguish between tamasic and the loss of the desire? Yes. So, tamasic person will lose the desire and not do much at all. And can pretend to be spiritual also. The spiritual person will overcome the desire and 
will be up and doing in spiritual life. Yatatma, as he said. You can notice the difference. Not in what they say, but in the life they lead. Is this person uh, has given up all uh, worldly desires and then? Uh, then nothing much. Uh, then it's not uh, spiritual. It's tamasic. Uh, so, worldly, the pursuit of worldly desires also has an indirect contribution to our evolution. That it you know, develops character, brings out our energies, a struggle. But it's indirect. It's not particularly useful in spiritual life. It, one, one has to quickly mature beyond that. Yes. Tell us your name and ask the question. Namaskar Swami. Um, my name is Parthik. Um, so you mentioned, you just mentioned Yatatma and how that means like, like you're up and running, um, active. So could you elaborate more on that? Like what is that, how does that take form in day-to-day -day life? Yes, fill your lives with the four yogas. Look at a direct uh, answer to these questions and many of the questions is if you read the lives of the saints. Read the lives of Sri Ramakrishna, Masharada, Vivekananda, read the lives of the direct disciples, the lives of the householder disciples, lives of the saints in all traditions, in Hinduism, other religions. You will find something common in all of them. None of them were lazy. You would never find a lazy saint. They were pretty hard-working people. They struggled in life. They struggled means, but the struggle was on a spiritual plane. Fill your lives with the four yogas. Study Vedanta. Think about it. Give, uh, make time for that. This study of um, Gita, Upanishads, uh, the Advaitic texts. Spend time on that. Um, have a regular meditation practice, morning and evening. Take Mantra Diksha. Repeat the name of God whenever you get the chance, mentally. Um, then uh, serve. So, it, if you don't have much chance of serving, find out some way of serving. In this country especially, uh, you know, there are a lot of non-profits and people engage in a lot of volunteer and service activities in, in various sectors. It doesn't have to be religious or spiritual. So if it is, good. If it's not, still fine. Where you are giving without any thought of return. This has a very good effect on character and on the mind. So fill your days. You know, surely everyone has more than enough to do and so if you can fi find time for these karma yoga, bhakti yoga, raja yoga, jnana yoga, there'll be more than, they will, you won't have a single moment left over. Just the literature itself, there's endless amounts to read. And you don't have to read everything. Once you have found one or two books which fulfill you, stay with the books. Repeat. Stay with it. So that you saturate your mind with these thoughts. Can you pass down the microphone? The lady there was raising her hand. Raise your hand so that they can see you. And then we'll take one question at the back. Somebody was raising the hand at the back. Yeah, we'll go there. Uh, hi, Swamiji. Uh, so What's your name? Uh, I'm Priya. Hmm. So um, I actually had a clarification on the beginning of this chapter. Krishna says he considers bhakti to be greater. Yes. And then he gives a series of options, starting with fix mind and intellect on me, and then uh, do this or do that, and then at least do your duty as an offering to me. So I was kind of reflecting on that um, for people who choose the material world. Um, so if you think of Gandhi's life, for instance, Gandhi was a great devotee, a great meditator, and uh, was also immersed in the Gita. But uh, today we still revere him long after he's passed, not so much because of his devotion or meditation or reading of the Gita, but more because of his selfless service and mm -hmm. uh, sacrifice for humanity. Uh, although 
um, one could say it's because of him following the three paths that inspired him into the path of uh, karma yoga, if I may say. But then um, even an atheist could, without realizing it, be, be very well a, put, uh, a karma yogi. Yeah, but what's your but specific question? Can you narrow it down? Yeah, so my question is, to me it seems like karma yoga uh, is the only path that seems to be sort of... Um, uh, you know, having some scope to create a ripple in the world, as in like more nobler compared to the other three paths, um, which seem to be more uh, sort of, if I may say, self-serving, yeah. yeah. as in it's just like, okay, so I meditate, I engage in bhakti or I read mm. the scriptures, but it can potentially be of no use to like Yes, you're right. So, first of all, I noticed you said for people who choose the material world, you have to be clear there. We are talking about uh, God-realization, enlightenment, and that itself is of great benefit to the, to the world. If uh, consider someone like Ramana Maharshi, you know, his life, uh, he seemed to lead a very isolated life, but even till today people um, are getting benefit, at least mental peace, spiritual guidance from him without actively engaging in social service, so on. But all of them. Remember, if you ask Gandhi himself, have you chosen the material world over the spiritual world? He would say, absolutely not. I have chosen the spiritual world over the material world. And it is my spirituality which compels me to act in the material world in pursuit of justice, uh, of uh, you know freedom for, the, for an oppressed people. All of that is a spiritual practice for him. Just as his prayer is a spiritual practice for him. Just as the study of Gita is a spiritual practice for him. We tend to think of Gandhi. I mentioned this a number of times in his autobiography. He says, uh, who am I? If you ask people, people think I am a um, social um, reformer. I am a politician. I am a freedom fighter. Which is true. He was all of those. But he says, if you ask me, who am I? I will say I am a simple man in search of God. And that's what we have to be. The whole thing here, what we are doing here, we have to be this simple person in search of God. And that can spin off in somebody's case, some people's cases as of great benefit to society, like Gandhi. And if you have that part, that kind of constitution of the mind that it must be of benefit to the world, my spirituality, good, then you must, you must. And you are right. So first set it, set it right. Karma Yoga is not for doing benefit to the world. It can, it will give benefit to the world, great, great deal of benefit. But the goal for the person, for the Karma Yogi, the goal is God realization. For the karma, for the Raja Yogi, goal is God God realization. Jnana Yogi, ba, um, the Bhakti Yogi, the goal is God realization. Same goal. And doing. So if you say, I actually really want to do good to the world, I want to be of uh, use to the world. Any number of um, non-profits you can join. The a political party, you can um, be a philanthropist. All of those are open without being particularly spiritual. Yeah. Being spiritual and being of use to the world, certainly possible. I think anybody who is spiritual in any way, even if you shut yourself up in the cave, Vivekananda says, if you shut yourself up in the cave and you become an enlightened person, think five powerful thoughts, they will penetrate through the rock of the cave and it will circle around the world. You'll be assured. The, so, 
I think spirituality itself is a great service to the world, tremendous service to the world, and it can be of direct service to the world through karma yoga. You are right. Raja yoga, jnana yoga, and bhakti yoga are more of private spirituality. Karma yoga makes you engage with the world and is of service to the world. That way, you are right. You had a question here before we go to the last person. Raise your hand so that they can give you the microphone, and then we'll go to the gentleman at the back. Yes. yes. Go on. Hmm. Tell us your name no. and ask the question. Namaskar. Uh, uh, my question was a follow-up on the transcendence of you know, how you, you know, uh, kind of trans, uh, transcend the ego. I know it's good spiritually speaking, but when you look back in history or in business, a lot of our major leaders in politics or business have had big egos. Hmm even currently, and th when they do effective change in companies or in, or in politics or in Alexander the Great, from that time onwards. Yes, the history of the world from Alexander the Great to Elon Musk. Yes, correct. I understand. So my question is, is, is ego necessarily bad or if one has to actually... Okay, I got your question. Yes. Direct answer is, is it necessarily bad? Uh, for a spiritual seeker, very bad. There is no way you are going to have become enlightened. God realized if you go with a big ego. So I have done everything. I've got my degree from Harvard and I have got uh, I've made millions of dollars on the stock market and I have done this invention, that invention. I won the elections and become the president uh, and what not, whatever it is. I'm not referring to one particular person. I'm just referring to this kind of thing. I have done this. I have done that. And tomorrow I will also do the, this next big thing. You know, and that is actually described in the Bhagavad Gita. We'll read about it. Um, today I have accomplished so much. Tomorrow I will do that. You see, that that's great. Uh, is it bad? Yes, that's described in the Gita as a characteristic of demons. Asuri <laughs> Sampad. Now, is it necessarily bad? Depends. If you're talking about the his progress of civilization and world history and all of that, no, then the question becomes wider. It is an instrument, ego, whatever we're doing. War, ego, I've got a book right now, very interesting book. War, what is it good for? One of the prime drivers of civilization, whether you like it or not, has been war. So, with religion, religion is even more important, but war. So, in the hands of the Divine Mother who controls the entire universe is also the inflated of ego of some talented, powerful, ambitious, energetic people which drives them on to conquer empires, to, be, to accumulate huge amounts of wealth and to you know, do many things in the world or to, um, you know, in, why just that? In science, in arts. You'll find some, you think it's only emperors and businessmen or politicians who have egos. You should go to the academia. <laughs> towering, ivory tower, towering ego. <laughs> uh, so, those, and those egos are ultimately not useful in spiritual life. But yes, for time being in the Rajasic world, it can lead you to accomplish big things. As far as the world history is concerned, fine. They, they, they have, everybody has played their part, including very egotistic, talented, energetic, what we call great people, so-called, quote-unquote. Yes, they have also played their part. But not in spiritual life. That person, that egotistic person, very difficult for that person to become spiritual. Not in this lifetime. 
not that all kings or politicians were can uh, were non spiritual some of them were very spiritual we hear of ashoka akbar uh, we hear and so many others gandhi ji himself was a politician so yes and the last person at the very back gentleman who raised his hand tell us your name and ask the question uh pranam swami ji my name is prasoon um in the last the vishwarup chapter we talked about um the lack of, or the falseness of free will um and i just been really confused since we discussed that but how does that relate to ego because from yeah. ego we think we do have free will you're right and to make that nice connection between free will the idea that we have free will and the ego that's a good connection to make when we are ego centered we also feel that we have tremendous free will i am able to do these things and we are uneasy with anything that uh, uh, tends to uh, you know diminish our sense of free will so as far as the world is concerned achievements in the world are concerned this is a good combination an ego with a, a sense of free will but as the mind becomes more sensitive as we turn inwards as we step back from the ego we also see a great deal of what we thought was free was not really free there were more subtle forces at play uh, which enabled us to achieve or do whatever we did good and bad both um yeah so in both ways as a bhakta as a devotee we will have this feeling as long until we become enlightened we will have the feeling that i am this person now i am trying to be spiritual but i am this spiritual person now and i have free will i can't deny it this feeling will be there but the effort should be to acknowledge that clearly this is all god given this world this body and whether it is gita whether it is neuroscience all are seeming to tell tell him tell me that free will might not be um, all that independent what i think all that free so that effort of surrendering should go on as a bhakta as a gyani from the gyanas gyani's perspective i am the witness of the mind and its so called free will and the ego all of that clearly is appearing i don't have to be the witness i am already the witness it's all appearing in consciousness and disappearing and in deep sleep what happens the ego the mind with its free will and the body and the external world disappears everything disappears from the consciousness from the awareness that's the vedantic understanding of deep sleep what is the materialistic understanding of deep sleep it's consciousness which disappears everything else stays <laughs> yeah so that's the difference anyway we will leave it at that uh just yeah. sorry follow question the effort that a yogi makes is that also not free will then we oh as far as spiritual life is concerned take it for granted worldly life and spiritual life take it for granted we have some free will that's how we feel we can't deny it even if you deny it and you agree that the school philosophy and neuroscience and all of that latest best sellers on neuroscience are telling me that i have no free will even after that you will feel that you have free will and you will behave accordingly so in spiritual life it's good to think about these things we will continue to feel that we have free will how do you reconcile the two i had mentioned it earlier in one article by arindam chakravarti he says the best use of this apparent free will now you are convinced that it's apparent i still feel it but clearly it's apparent is to is to acknowledge continuously the apparentness of this free will that not i but thou mm-hmm. he uses the word namaha 
in Sanskrit namaha means salutation but he expands it to mean na mama not mine namaha is equal to na mama not mine world is not mine these possessions are not mine as an internal spiritual attitude these possessions are not mine these uh, um, this body is not mine these people are not mine it all belongs to the lord these senses these ideas these thoughts all of them are given by the lord and i will make do the best that i can with whatever is given by the lord to in my journey to the lord this is the devotee's attitude namaha i salute is equal to not mine not mine it's dying it's dying it's a good uh, way to end the class thank you so much <laughs>